0: much about uh, what the Bible says if you're visiting with us uh, so you can find out what uh, God's will is for your life maybe for the first time. And uh, it's been an amazing weekend thus far. On Friday night we had a great night of of study and fellowship and Saturday night as well as we've been looking at Jesus. Uh, We've been discussing the love that Jesus has for us, his willingness to sacrifice himself on the cross for us. Uh, that love is is greater and, and broader than anything we could ever imagine. And uh, on Saturday night, we talked about his understanding, how he's been through everything that we've been through, and how he came and took on flesh and lived the life that we have to live. And uh, it was an amazing lesson last night. And today, for our Bible class period, we're going to be talking about his family, his family, the, the church, the body of Christ, and the blessing that the church is in the family that we may never have known we needed. With us this weekend has been Craig Evans and his family, his wife Brianna, and his son Ezekiel. Uh, they've, they've been having a great uh, getaway themselves during the days, uh, going and doing fun things uh, in downtown Atlanta and all, th- all around going to our favorite uh, food places as well. And they've, they've had a great time with us. Uh, so far, uh, we're very excited today uh, as we got a fellowship later on after the morning worship uh, to join in that fellowship as well. But Craig, if you haven't been here with us, uh, Craig is the preaching minister for the Mount Juliet Church of Christ in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Uh, he, he, Craig, holds a bachelor's degree. Last night I said his son, his four-year-old son. Holds a bachelor's degree. Craig holds a bachelor's degree in special education and Bible and a master's degree in ministry from Freed Hardeman University. And what we love about Craig is he's able to, to speak to us, to, to communicate God's word in a way that we can all understand, in a way that we can all grasp. And we've said this every lesson, but if you're here in this audience today and you have questions about something you heard, if you want to talk to someone about something that was presented and you, you, you may have heard something for the first time that God is, is asking and compelling you to do in your life, we'd love to have that conversation today because that's what Harvest is all about. And with that, let's, let's talk about the family that we may have never known we needed. Craig?
1: Good morning. So good to see you today. Thank you for coming this morning. Glad that you'll be here. I know that you're probably the first wave if you're like us, about 10 more minutes, there'll be another wave come in. Uh, but I'm glad that you have chosen to be here as we've come together uh, to, to learn more about God, to praise His name, to encourage one another. And I'm glad that you have chosen to do that. It has been a blessing to be here. I'm thankful for the time that we have spent here and pray that today will be something that is a, a fruitful day and be, blessed, be a blessing. Let's go to God in prayer as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for today. We pray that you will be with us as we open your word. We pray that you will help us to see what you would have us to see, to apply it to our lives, and to see that not only that you love us, but you have prepared not just a place to come for us, but a place here, that you've given us your church, and what a great blessing that is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: Sing the wondrous love of Jesus Sing his mercy and his grace In the mansions bright and blessed He'll prepare for us a place When we all get to heaven What a day of rejoicing that will be and we Streets of gold.
1: sing that song and it's early to sing that song I know that I'm I'm glad I was able to hit I didn't know if I could get there who is the all that song is talking about because when it comes about heaven what God has prepared for us can I promise you if all is going to heaven I want to be a part of that all so who is the all if we all open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 I want us to look at just a moment at who that all is. Acts chapter 2. In Acts 2, the the disciples are preaching. The apostle uh, Peter is given named credit for this sermon. And as he is preaching, he is preaching to a group of Jewish people, and he has let them know that they have killed the Messiah. They've been looking for the Messiah to come. They have wanted him to come so that they could be uh, delivered. Now, their view of deliverance was not an eternal deliverance. Their view of deliverance was that they would get to basically overtake the Romans and be in charge. That's what they thought would happen when the Messiah comes. Well, the Messiah has has come, and He said, you did not recognize Him. And Peter has preached this sermon, and He's about to let them know and lower the boom, if you will, on what they need to know about the Messiah. Verse 36 says, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Can I tell you, that was a tough thing for them to hear. The Messiah that was promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, He did come and you killed Him. Wow. But He wasn't finished. He said, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Look at the they. Who is they? It's they who are touched in the heart. Those who realize that they have killed the Messiah, those who have been touched with God's word. And Peter said to them, Repent, every one of you. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter replies to them. And this is where he goes from plural, right? Plural is, is everybody. He says, every single one of you must do what? Must be baptized. And if you are baptized, you will have forgiveness of your sins. What sins? All your sins, but the sin of killing the Messiah. I'm going to tell you, that's what's on their heart at the moment. Wouldn't you agree? If I've just killed the Messiah, I want to know what to do about it. If I'm guilty of this grave sin, I have killed God on earth. What do I need to do? He said, repent and be baptized, and you'll see the forgiveness of sins. Secondly, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now look at this day. For this promise is for you. This is the English Standard Version I'm reading from. If it were something that would help me a little more, this is very country. This is y'all, by the way. This is you, plural. All right? For this promise is for y'all and for y'all's children and for all who are far off. I'm very happy about that. I'm part of the all right there, right? the all who are far off, and everyone individually whom the Lord calls to Himself. And with many other words, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His word were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, who's the all? The all is the 3,000 that day who were baptized for remission the of their sins. That's the all. And the all today is everyone who has called Jesus as Lord, has. has turned their life toward Him, has believed in who He is and have been baptized for the mission of their sins and, and who, who walk faithfully toward Him. That is the all today. And, and the thing is, there's, a, there's a, a disengagement of sorts with people who believe and love Jesus versus people who believe that the church is necessary. This may or may not surprise you, but back in the 2020 census, 70% of Americans still claim to be Christian. But I will promise you this morning, I hate to say this, that 70% of people who claim to be Christian will not be in any house of worship today. Why is that? Because they believe you can have Jesus without His church. That the church is not necessary to who they are. See, when we look, it's a big deal. There's people who love Jesus but don't love the church. And and I will say there's some reasons there. They, They do not fully understand. Some of them were never taught. Some of them have never been taught. They were taught what they needed to do to be saved, but not realize that they, were, just, they were, were not only saved from something, they were saved to something. And they were added to the body, and, and something that they may not have been taught. And, and I will tell you, there, there's a reason at times why people disconnect from the church or struggle with church. There's some people that in their mind, they, they think about it, they are unworthy to be part of a church. That's what they feel. Maybe at the time of their salvation, they they were saved from their sins, but maybe they've done something afterwards, and afterwards they have pulled themselves away, feeling that the same blood of Christ that washed them from their sins the day they were baptized could not continually wash them in their walk with Christ. And they've pulled away. Some blame hypocrites. Some look at the church and they judge the church by the worst member in it. And they look around and they see somebody who acts hypocritical and they go, that's why I'm not going to be a part of a church. Others ha- have, have looked at and seen some actions by Christians in general. And they don't want to be a part of it. some have legitimately been hurt by Christians. One of the youth ministers that I had when I was in high school, who was incredibly good to me, went from being my youth minister to a youth minister somewhere else to in jail. I wish that that were not the case, but I will tell you today, if we were to Google uh, ministers in jail, it'd be a bunch Christians at times hurt people. And because of that, people give up on the church. They shouldn't, but they do because it can be very hurtful. There's others who just don't understand this fact. But I think if we don't understand this, we will not understand what God's Word teaches. And that is Jesus and His church are one. That the church is the bride of Christ. To be in Christ is to be a part of His church and to see what is necessary for us to do there. And, and you may say, Craig, I, I don't understand this church stuff. Why, why church? Let's look at some verses this morning. If the Son of Man came and seek and save the lost, He came to save them, but not only save them from their sins, but they are saved too, being part of His church. Then we look that Jesus came and promised to build His church. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build My church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Jesus, when He came to earth, promised to build His church. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, Paul tells us that the church will last until Jesus returns. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly all, beyond all that we could ask or imagine, according to His power that works within us, to Him with the glory, the church, and in Christ Jesus to all generations. And amen. The church is the bride of Christ. Paul d- describes the love... Jesus has for the church in Ephesians 5 where he says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her if Jesus died for the church shouldn't we want to be part of his church I know this is a church building not a church but for visuals let us never separate Jesus and his church to realize that, that, that we want to see that Jesus died in the church as His bride and we want to be a part of that. Because one of the things is, being a Christian is more than just believing in something. It is about belonging. Ephesians 2, 19-22 uh, lays out some of the things that we are connected to as brothers and sisters in Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints. And are God's household, of God's household being built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you are being built together into a dwelling place of the Spirit. We are united. I only knew a couple people before I got here this that worship here before I got here this weekend. I've met uh, Ben and have talked to him. Ben Hogan, a uh, Jensie, uh, used to come to a church camp where I, where I spoke and where I used to serve for a week. I, I've known her. I know two genties in this world, and they're both married to preachers, okay? <laughs> you want your daughter to marry a preacher? Name her Jensie. Just go ahead and lay that out, all right? That's sort of how it works, okay? I've known Ben and Amelia. They are from Mount Juliet but we're family. We're united by something greater. We're united by the, the blood of Christ. And as we come together, we don't worship together as strangers. We, we worship together as people united in the body of Christ. And, and the thing is, I think it's important for us to realize that God is not calling us to go to church. He's calling us to be His church, the hope of the world. And in doing that, we do gather together as an assembly. We do gather together as a body. We do come together to serve and make a difference. And and it's important to realize that we, every one of us, needs church, and church needs you. Jesus built a community of believers. Jesus Himself, when He came to earth, chose not to make a difference in this world by Himself. Have you ever thought about that? The Son of God comes. He is miraculous in what He is able to do. He can do anything He wants. He could have done it all on His own, but that's not what He chose to do. He chose to go and to preach and to call people to follow Him, and they did. How did He do that? He did that by, by, by doing some things that I think we can learn today to help us see the beauty of the church and also how we function as a church. How we function as the family of God. In Matthew 10, verses 2 through 4, it says that now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee and John his brother and Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas and Matthew the tax collector James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot the one who betrayed him Jesus called them one by one Peter, Andrew, James and John Right? we, we know that, that he has called these people to f- follow and they did how does he do this? one, he showed attention to them He called them individually, right? He sees some fishermen on the shore. says what? Come follow me. He chose men from from different backgrounds, economic, educational, uh, and, and different social statuses, and He does what? Calls them to follow Him. He gives them attention. Matthew, follow me. Not only that, He creates a community of belonging. In Mark 3, verses 13 to 15, He went up on the mountain and summoned those who He Himself wanted, and they came with Him, and He appointed the twelve, so that they would be with Him, and that He could send them out to preach, and having the authority to cast out demons. Don't miss this. They went from being individuals to a what? To a they. Okay? They became a group. A family. They were part of a group that nobody else could just say we were a part of. They were the ones chosen by Jesus that Jesus chose. There was a belonging about being part of that. And, and they went from being known as their individual names, and at times we'll know that Peter, Andrew, and James did this or whatever, but for the most part, Scripture just called them the twelve. Ten times. The twelve. Why? Because they became a body of believers that followed Jesus. There was belonging there. And it's pretty incredible he did that. So we we see somebody like Matthew, a tax collector, and we see Simon the zealot. Those two are political enemies. I'm not going to get into this too, too much today. But they are political enemies. The zealots were known for not just hating tax collectors, but they would kill them. They would carry these uh, little uh, daggers called the Sicari, and they actually referred themselves as Sicari, and they wore these cloaks. And if they saw a tax collector because they believed the tax collector was a sellout Jew to the Romans, which is what they were, they could come up in a group of people, throw that cloak around them, and they were assassins and would go on. And all of a sudden, Jesus has chosen somebody who's a tax collector and a zealot to go with him. They're united in Jesus. Political enemies. Jesus creates belonging in his family. Not only that, he offers support to them. He did not pick perfect people. I'm glad he didn't. If he picked perfect people, I wouldn't get to go, right? He picked people from different backgrounds who had their struggles, but he spent time with them. They were on a three year internship. It's pretty amazing. He comforted them. He encouraged them. He answered their questions. He trusted them. He forgave them when they messed up. He empowered them for service. They would go out and come back and He would talk to them about what they did. He prayed for them. He created a family and He did it through attention, belonging, and support. And then He gave them all the same mission. After Jesus has died and been resurrected, He tells them this. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. They're united in Christ as a family, and they have the same mission. So does the church today. We have the same mission they had then. We have the same united by the blood of Christ. We have all been joined together as we confess Jesus' name and are being baptized for the mission of our sins. We are born into the family of God. It is a beautiful thing to realize that we are connected. Jesus' success rate with His disciples, 11 out of 12, remain faithful. Free will's hard, by the way, but that's its own discussion too. So for us, can you imagine Jesus calling the disciples in and, and, and all, all of a sudden he said, Peter, I'm calling you. He said, man, I don't want to be here with my brother Andrew. We fight all the time. We're, I don't want to be a part of the group. No, 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 no. We're part of the group because of who the group leader is. Because of Jesus. And so we want to be united in Him. How do we follow Jesus in the same way? How do we strengthen His body of believers? How do we help people? This morning, you may be searching for a church family. You may not even know you need one. I hope that after today you see that you need a Savior, you need a church family. But I think we do the same thing. We do it through, first of all, we do the same thing through showing attention. Paul tells us in Romans to greet one another with a holy kiss. Can I tell you? I ain't, ain't exactly for that. I'm very selective in who I want to kiss. I don't know if you are or not, right? My wife grew up um, in Chile. Her parents were missionaries there for about 21 years. And they were cheek kissers there. I mean, that, that was part of their culture. You know, that's, they greeted one another. But the important thing is that we show one another attention and when people come in the doors here, that we let them know they are loved and appreciated and we show that. We don't take for granted that anybody comes to this building. Ever. This is a man named Clyde Farmer. When I, uh, again, had been in youth ministry for nearly, for about 11 and a half years and had decided I, I had wanted to begin preaching I had uh, told uh, Billy Smith at that time, was the head of the Bible Department at Freed and I said, hey, I, 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 I'm ready to start preaching, I believe. And he assured me I was. And, and uh, he said, okay. I said, so can I use you as a reference on my resume? He said, sure. Well, after a retreat weekend as a youth minister, I got a phone call on Monday morning really early. And the phone call is this. He goes, Craig, this is Clyde Farmer. I'm an elder with the... Uh, uh, Spring Hill Church of Christ, I want you to know we don't think it's a sin to be single. I was like, well, hallelujah. <laughs> I was not yet married, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm still trying to sleep off a retreat, okay? Retreats ain't retreats for a minute. I mean, you come back, you're exhausted, you've been gone. And he said, we've heard good things about you. We'd like to interview you to come be our pulpit minister. Clyde had a habit, he and his wife, as they stood at the doors, and they greeted everybody that came in. And if you got within six feet of them, you got hugged whether you wanted to or not. We finally, when we built a new building, we put him at the hugger door, and then we had the non-hugger door. You knew where you could come in, all right? That way you could avoid him if you wanted to. His wife gave the best hugs. Uh, You'd come in and and she would hug you and she'd pat you down. I'd always check for my wallet. I didn't know if she got it or not. (laughs) When you visited that church, you knew you were wanted there. Because he showed attention. She showed attention. It's important that we, as part of God's family, show attention. People need to know that they're loved and they're important. Can I tell you, people want that in this world. They are not cared for in other places. They go to a job that does not appreciate them. Sometimes they come home to a home that doesn't appreciate them. Sometimes they're in life with and with, looking for friends and looking for different things. They need to know that there is a group of people who loves and appreciates them and is thankful that they are there. And that should be his church family. Not only do we need to show attention, we need to create belonging. Belongings are a big deal. As Brene Brown has said this, there's nothing better than a warm embrace of belonging that you get when you're a part of something that you love and believe in. She's not talking about church, but I am. It's beautiful. Belonging's a big deal. And I think it's challenging because, and again, So many people feel that they don't belong in this world. We talked last night about how many people feel disconnected and how many people do not feel like anybody knows them or really cares for them, that all relationships are superficial. They need to know that they are a part of something greater and that there is belonging. And and there's something that we need to know that we need people. Jesus knew this. Why did He come to establish a church? He didn't just come to save people. Again, we must be saved for our sins. He came and He said the best way to accomplish His will on earth is to be united with other believers. And be a family. This is an interesting study. The Alameda County study. They studied 7,000 people for over nine years. It says researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. People who are more isolated have more depression, more health issues. Harvard researcher Robert Putnam notes that if you belong to no groups and decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying in half over the next year. Listen, this was done before COVID. Shut down. This guy was a prophet, don't you agree? How many people struggled more during that time of isolation? So much more. So much more. The research isn't over. He said that people who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, or alcohol use, but strong social ties lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but we're isolated. I'm not suggesting you go out smoking, drinking, or whatever else, but he's saying that there's power in being a part of a group of people who care about you. My thought about this is sort of what I learned from this. This is me breaking it down into my language. It is far better to eat a Twinkie with friends than eat broccoli by yourself, all right? Y'all got me? I just know that more people showed up for the ice cream than they did the fruit. Okay, I, I, I was here both <laughs> nights, all right? And more people are here for fried chicken day than all of it, so. We need each other. And we need to be about making a difference there. Madeline Murray O'Hare is one of the reasons that prayer has been outlawed in schools. It's her lawsuit. Some of you in here are old enough to know who that is and remember that. Listen, prayer is not outlawed in schools. As long as there are tests, there will always be prayer. All right? But the principal or teacher can't lead it over the loudspeaker. It was interesting. She was a devout atheist. She was somebody who was incredibly outspoken. And after she died people found her journals. And there was a phrase in her journals that was written in the margins over and over and over again. Do you know what it was? It said, would somebody somewhere please just love me? Let that set in for a second. A life without God for her equaled a life of Loneliness. Even though she had a group of people around her. She had a, a group that came together and a group of so-called friends. It was one of those friends that took her life. We can go on with all this. And, and there's a, a need to be loved. There needs to be a sense of belonging. And also we need to be a group of people who encourage one another. Who support. This quote here should really help us. It says, the church should be a community. We're messed up people are welcome. Outcasts are love, and underdogs find a champion. The hopeless find hope, and the friendless find a friend. Sometimes we expect people to get their life completely cleaned up before they become part of a church. I, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. If we got to get perfect before we get here, then why do we need Jesus? What support do we need from a church family? One, we need a church family that helps us to focus on God. Uh, Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship it in spirit and truth. Psalm 34:3 oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. What a church family can do and offer support is always keep pointing people back to God. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. We're here for Him. Sometimes I need to be reminded of that. Do you need to be reminded of that? you ever get a little selfish and think it's all about you? And somebody says, hey, we're coming together because we're here to focus on God. All of a sudden we get opinions. We get this. We start thinking the way the church should be. Everything else It's not a biblical issue. But we start making our issues everybody's issue. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Let's get back and let's point everybody toward God. That's what we do. Always. Secondly, a church family exists so that we can face our problems, help us face our prog- problems, and know we're not alone. Paul says in Galatians 6, 2, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And 1 Thessalonians five eleven says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. We surround one another. We don't struggle in silence. We let people know what's going on so that we can offer support. It was on a Wednesday afternoon. I'm still in Spring Hill, Tennessee, and I get a phone call from a young lady. She's 18 years old, and she calls and says, and she's crying as we're talking. I'm like, hey, what's going on? She said, I'm pregnant. She's not married. She said, I know I've embarrassed the church. I know I've embarrassed my mom and dad. And everybody's going to look at my mom and dad and think what a horrible job they did raising me. Listen, they raised me to know God. I chose to to live like I didn't know him. I've messed up. She goes, but I know I can't raise this child by myself. She said, I I, want to ask forgiveness, but I don't know how. I said, okay. asked her something i said do you trust me and she said i do i said well it's wednesday night i said tonight our wednesday night's there we used to do a short devotional at the front and at the very beginning everybody go to their bible class okay that's sort of how we did things there i said we'll still do our same devotional at the very beginning then we'll let all the little kids go to class then just be patient with me and so we did that everybody goes to class all the little kids go And I get up and I talk a little bit about the prodigal son and I said, I want to let you know tonight that this young lady has she wants to let you know that um, she has sinned and she is pregnant. And I also made out pregnancy is never a sin. The fornication that led to it, yes. The pregnancy, no. I'm not going to get on my rant about how some people have treated illegitimate babies. It was an illegitimate act that brought the baby around, but I'm I can get a little ill on that. I, I, I want y'all to think I'm a nice guy. So I won't get too ill about it. I said, she acknowledges her sin. I said, she also doesn't want people to look around and judge her parents as not being good parents because she's made a mistake. But she also wants you to know that she knows she can't raise this baby alone. And she wants this baby to be raised up in church. And I didn't have her walk up aisle. I didn't have her. She sat... Basically right where y'all are sitting with her mom and dad. Right, just right here. And before I said the a prayer, I so said, we're going to have a prayer for her. And I just said, hey, if you'd like to let her know she's loved and appreciated or whatever, if you would like to move over there around her and surround her, that'd be great. All of a sudden, everybody got up and went over. I don't know if everybody was going, but a couple of ladies on walkers went first. And they led the way. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And last I checked on her, her and her husband and her three children are part of a church family every week. There's two parts to that. One, she let her church family know she needed them. And two, they responded with love. That night was something that was incredible because we were able to show the forgiveness and the love that God shows us uh, to the people there. It's something we do. That is how we show support. Not only that, our church family helps us grow in our faith. Hebrews 6.1, uh, the Hebrew writer tells the, the, the Hebrew church, says, uh, therefore leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and, faith and of faith toward God. He says, let us continue, let us grow. When we become Christians, we're newborns. And I, can I tell you, I think it's intimidating at times to come be a part of a worship service where it looks like everybody's already got it all figured out. We dress some ways today. We don't usually dress during the week. I don't leave all my ties tied, okay? But usually I'm, I'm, a, I'm a suit on Sundays and funerals. And weddings if asked to, right? Well, we come today, and the people who lead prayer, they will lead beautiful prayers. They have this ability. People who lead singing, the people who are up front, the people who teach. And sometimes we can become so intimidated. And and what people don't realize is that the people who do that didn't get that way overnight. That a church family is to help us grow in our faith. In a neat book I read several years ago... um, of the whole book, there was one chapter that was really helpful. Sometimes that's the case. And this person uh, said, this is how we help people grow in their faith. One, he said, you need a church that focuses on practical teaching and application of Scripture. In other words, we see Scripture as God's Word. How do I live differently now that I know it, Right? How do I live differently? How do I apply my life so I live more like Christ? If we want to grow in our faith, we're we're a church that wants to help people see who God is and to live more like Jesus, to love more like Jesus and to be that way and let God's Word so we need practical teaching and application. Secondly, he said, we need our own private disciplines. We need private disciplines. The time where we do sit down with God's Word and read it and let it change us and pray to Him and spend time in solitude and spend time in service, these things are a big deal to help us grow. Nobody else can go to the gym for us, right? We do that ourselves. If we want a church that that helps us grow, we also have to realize it's important, I think, for everybody to be involved in the ministry. Sometimes that ministry is a formal ministry through the church. Can I tell you, if you haven't seen the back wall back here that I know was put together for this weekend, it has all the flowers, flyers, not flowers. I know I'm country, okay? All the flyers for all the different ministries, look at it because it tells you a way you can be involved. But I love that there are many ministries that people do. It's their own thing. They point people to Jesus through it. My mama is incredibly artsy. She also can't sit still. So even though my mom still works, when, when she's sitting there watching TV, after she finishes work, she starts making these blankets with her hand. It's a, these huge, super soft blankets. And... She makes them at rapid speed. I don't know how many I've given away to some of our uh, widows at our congregation. And when she gets so many of them, she goes, Do you want these right now? I'm like, Well, I still got some, and she'll take them to a women's shelter and drop off 30 or 40 at a time. That's her ministry. That's what she does. What's your ministry? There's a, a lady at Mount Juliet that talked about that when uh, her and her husband first got married, they met at Harding, got married there, and uh, first job was in California where they knew nobody except the people at their congregation. Said so then we start having children with nobody there to help. Except a lady from church who would come over and say, I bet you'd like some time to go take a shower and get ready. Can I watch your child? That was her ministry. When somebody had a baby, she would go over and let the mom rest and do some things that she could do. We all need something and great what well, the great thing is, all of us are created individually. Do you know that? We, God has given us all unique talents. We, we have a guy, two guys at our congregation who are exceptional fishermen. They've got the trophies on the wall to prove it. If you go fishing with them and you get in their boat, it's sort of a captive audience unless you like to swim. People learn about Jesus. People get help in their marriage. They get help in raising kids. Is that five minutes or is that it? That's it. All right. Can I tell you, a church is a place of love. It is a place where we get to experience the love and we get to show the love Jesus has given us. Please let us never separate Jesus from His church and say, I want Jesus and not His church, but help us always to desire and seek to be the church Christ wants us to be. And that is more than just a, a group of people who teaches the right things biblically. It's a group of people who not only teaches what God has said, but lives out what He has said and how we treat one another. Thank you very much, and I look forward to our time of worship.